This is Hashtag History, episode 59. I'm Rachel. And I am Leah. And this week, we are covering maybe my favorite thing we've ever covered, and that is such a stretch, and I think I've probably said that at least a dozen times before, right? Well, it's your favorite now. Yes, you're right. It's my current favorite. Yes. Um, And that is because this episode covers all the things. Uh, It covers an incredible, intelligent, badass woman in history. Mm -hmm. Check. Check. (laughs) Controversy, conspiracy, and definitely some corruption. Uh Check, check, check. Yeah. Uh And one of our personal favorite conversations that we have between ourselves, both on and off air on a regular basis, double standards and equal rights for women. Maybe while we're crying and drinking. That may or may not have happened very recently. Yeah. Check. At least for one of us. (laughs) Your, you guess which one of us was crying. <laughs> this week, we are talking about Anita Hill and the infamous event that thrust her into the spotlight when she testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1991 about accusations that U.S. Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas, while in his capacity as her manager at both the United States Department of Education and at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, had sexually harassed her. This event truly changed history. I don't say that flippantly. It actually did. Before Anita Hill's testimony, about 7,000 sexual harassment cases were filed in the United States per year. In the years following her testimony, this number would nearly triple. But at the time of her testimony, she was not considered by many to be a hero. In fact, her testimony was torn apart, doubted, and many refused to believe her story. Shall we have a drink before we continue? I think I need one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. This week's cocktail was suggested by, well, well, you. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) I didn't have to do a lot of research this time. You're most welcome. Yeah. I think it's a perfect fit for this week's episode on girl power. Yes. Because tonight we are drinking the Golden Lasso of Truth. Oh my God. So good. Aptly named after Wonder Woman's preferred tool. It is only right since we will be discussing a different sort of Wonder Woman tonight. And the story is all revolved around truth and and whatnot. What have you. Okay, so this cocktail contains uh, one and a half measures of white rum. Probably my fave. Yeah, and measures, I just assumed that meant ounces. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Um, (laughs) Here we are. A half measure of brandy, a half measure of triple sec, and a half measure of lemon. You fill a shaker with ice, then blend the contents in a shaker, strain it into a cocktail glass, we don't have martini glasses, so we're yeah. just using our cute little ball jars. Yes. Um, and then you're supposed to decorate with a candied twist of lemon, which is kind of We a ain't joke. like that. Yeah. <laughs> we ain't like that. Yeah. So cheers to Anita, and yes. here's to hoping that this week's cocktail tastes as good as it sounds. The brandy is a little questionable. Yeah. Only a bit that's questionable. The rest sounds great. Yeah. It almost sounds like a um, lemon drop mm-hmm. a little bit, except not vodka. It needs more sugar. 
I would. It's very tart. It's yeah. very. I put a lot of lemon juice in. It's there. the and it's fresh squeezed lemon juice. So yeah, it's like sour and tart, very lemony. I mean, I like it. I like that it's in this small glass because it almost feels like it's just a very large shot. <laughs> it's good. I would. I would want a little, maybe a little more of the triple sec or something, just to make it a little sweeter. Simple syrup. I do have simple syrup. You want some? Like a squirt? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. We're back and add a little simple syrup to our lasso of truth. And yeah, I think it's better. It tastes even more like a lemonade, like a hard lemonade almost. Yeah. Reminds me a lot of a lemon drop. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Wish we had martini glasses. One day. One day. We'll be adult enough for that one day. <laughs> Eventually we'll adult. Eventually. Um, what's your rating? Um, it's pretty good. Like an eight. I think I'm going to go with seven. Our only drink today, which usually we are like three deep. Yeah, that is true. But we're so close to the end of the season. We're only recording this one today. Kind of sad. Yeah. One cocktail on a Sunday before noon. Like, what? what? <laughs> I know. Lame. We are so lame. <laughs> so I feel so honored to get to cover this topic, to get to cover this incredible woman in history, and to get to open up this discussion of sexual harassment and the things that women in particular experience in the workplace. Because this is such an important topic and Anita Hill is such a phenomenal woman, I probably did more research in preparation for this episode than I have ever done for a past episode. And that's saying a lot because I spent a lot of time preparing for each and every one of our episodes. But for this episode, in addition to spending hours upon hours reading materials, watching the Anita Hill documentary and watching the confirmation movie starring Kerry Washington, very good, highly recommend. I also watched the full nearly five-hour testimony of Hill at the confirmation hearing and the absolute coolest piece of research that I studied in preparation for this week's episode was reading Hill's biography titled Speaking Truth to Power. Okay. I got the book off of Thrift Books for $3 Mm -hmm. because that's what I do. Yeah. We're doing this live because I wanted to get Leah's reaction. Okay, so I am handing her the book. So open, I got this from Thrift Books. Open just to the first little page. What do you see there? What almost fell out of the book? Okay, there's like a a, a ticket and it's from the Odyssey Bookshop and the Five College Women's Studies Research Center. And they present Anita Hill reading from her book, Speaking Truth to Power. So it's a ticket from a, a live reading. From 97. From ni- October 2nd, 97. Wow. Okay, is that cool? Now, turn the page. No. She signed. Turn the page. No. You got a signed copy. Did you have to pay extra for this? I Did paid, they know? I paid $3 for this book off of Thrift Books. It includes a ticket from a speaking engagement that she did in 97 and the book is signed by Anita Hill. You're nerding out. I almost cried. No. My husband can confirm. I When I got the book, opened it up, ticket fell out. I'm like, okay, that is freaking cool. Turned to the first page and I literally, like, tears welled up in my eyes. I wonder if the person selling it, like, remember. They were probably like... I was almost thinking maybe it was, like, their parents yeah, or something. Or, and they or children. Like, yeah, they just don't recognize the significance of, like, this is... a And also that thrift books, like, kept the ticket in there and well i don't know that they they don't but they don't check to see if there's like a piece of paper in the book or a bomb or a bomb <laughs> or i mean like or porn or like anything they don't check i, I don't guess. know obviously they didn't check on this one and i'm grateful for it like the history gods were looking down on me right yeah they were oh how cool yeah how really cool, cool. kudos yes. that's a really cool so cool mm. so 
This topic, this woman has my utmost respect, and I will do all I can to do it and to do her justice. She deserves it, and working women across the world deserve it. Speaking of deserving it, something that I have found in all of my research about Anita Hill is that nearly everything centers around her testimony at the confirmation hearing, right? That's Mm -hmm. what she's known for. Yeah. And that is the event that we are going to be focusing on heavily in our coverage as well. But something that I find nearly all of these other sources have done is give that event in her life an over element of focus when her early life, her career and her accomplishments outside of her testimony deserve to be heard as well. I mean, she was working in a high I mean, I don't know what her position level was, but in a very high profile office, obviously. So there's something to that. As an attorney. Yeah. She's brilliant. As an attorney. She's brilliant. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. We'll kind of go through her educational background and you'll see what I'm saying. Okay. Anita Faye Hill was born on July 30th, 1965 in Lone Tree, Oklahoma, as the youngest of 13 children. Whoa, 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 whoa. And that's coming from someone who's who you 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 know what it's like to live in a big family. But that is (laughs) I know what it's like to live in a big family. But 13 is still double. what My family is. Whoa, 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 whoa. Her mother's father and his ancestors had all been born into slavery. She was a brilliant straight A student that went on to become valedictorian and a National Honor Society student. I know she's amazing. I can't believe being the granddaughter of of someone that was enslaved and then being valedictorian of your school. How cool is that? You know, what's so amazing is when I was reading her biography is she oftentimes looked down on herself that like, you know, I've changed jobs a lot and I haven't really figured out my path. But then she has this self-reflection of like my great grandparents would be blown away by what I have done with my life. Even when I'm being like discouraging of myself, people, I mean, my family would be so, so proud of me. Yeah. So she got her bachelor's degree with honors and went to study at Yale Law School, where she received her Juris Doctorate, again, with honors. Mm. While an associate at the law firm of Wald, Harkrader, and Ross, Hill was introduced to Clarence Thomas, who encouraged her to come work for him as his assistant in his newly appointed position of Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights. Whew. That was a long sentence with no breaths in between. Yeah, no commas in there. (laughs) Not a singular comma. Not sure if that's my fault or... (laughs) (laughs) She wasn't super jazzed about her current position at the Washington, D.C. firm that she was working for. And she was really excited about the opportunity to work in civil rights. So she did as Thomas encouraged and she became his assistant there. And then just a year or so later, when Thomas became the chairman of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission which I'll just refer to as EEOC for the remainder of the episode. Not AOC. Not AOC, but another badass, amazing woman. Hill also changed jobs and became his assistant there. She would only work as his subordinate for about two years total. She would then continue on to become a law professor, teaching at places such as Oral Roberts before she began her position at the University of Oklahoma College of Law, where she began teaching contract law. She would become the first tenured African-American professor at this university, and it was here that she was working at the time of the Supreme Court Justice Confirmation eight years later. She's amazing. Yeah. So a tiny bit of background on Supreme Court Justice nominations and confirmations for anyone that doesn't know or just needs a quick refresher. Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2. Simple of the United States Constitution gives the president the power to nominate justices to the Supreme Court. This nomination must then be confirmed by the United States Senate. So to put it in really simple 
relevant down to earth terms. It's like the big boss at your job selecting you for a huge life appointment opportunity because they think you're a great person and you hold similar morals and values and would judge similarly to them. Mm-hmm. Because this opportunity is serving on the country's highest court, though, you have to be vetted, which includes the FBI doing a full background check, checking your tax records, your potential police records, interviewing your friends and your family and your colleagues and so on. You then have to go to, let's call it a a final interview with a panel of people. They are the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is a standing committee composed of a number of U.S. senators that then, after interviewing you themselves, make a final vote in which they simply must reach a majority vote in order for you to be confirmed as the next U.S. Justice to the Supreme Court. Okay. So here we are in July of 1991. President George H.W. Bush nominated Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court to replace Thurgood Marshall, who had served on the court for 24 years at that point. Prior to Thomas's nomination, he had served as Assistant Attorney General in Missouri He worked as a legislative assistant to a U.S. senator. He became the assistant secretary for civil rights at the Department of Education and then later became the chairman of the EEOC. Like I mentioned earlier, part of the nomination and confirmation process is a full vetting by the FBI. Anita Hill, who had worked with Clarence Thomas at both the Department of Education and the EEOC, fully expected to receive a call simply because she had worked with him in the past. And this was all part of the typical vetting process. Mm -hmm. It was during that phone call, though, that she was specifically asked, we understand that you experienced sexual harassment at the hands of Clarence Thomas. So they fully knew. Yes. She did not initially disclose that information. She was kind of taken aback like, oh, they know. Yeah. Believing that her statement would remain confidential and also believing that she would be but one of several other women that would come forward and allege the same. She responded honestly to the question and told them that she had indeed been sexually harassed by Thomas in the course of her employment. Mm. This FBI interview, however, would not remain confidential. Rather, it would be leaked to the press. The Senate Judiciary Committee had already finished Thomas's confirmation hearings at this point and was currently in the process of debating the nomination when this FBI interview was leaked and Anita Hill was called to testify. Reopening a confirmation hearing after it had already been concluded was not typical at all. This was only the third time in history that this has ever happened. Mm. And this may be one of the most important things I want to get across with this episode. If you hear nothing else in this episode, I want our listeners to hear this. Anita Hill did not come forward. She did not see that Clarence Thomas was going to become a Supreme Court justice and then decided to speak up. She was interviewed by the FBI in which she provided a truthful statement. And when this information was leaked, she was then subpoenaed to testify at the confirmation hearing. And I don't emphasize this to take away from any of her bravery because, my God, Anita Hill was so brave. Yeah. But the reason I really emphasize this is because this is the most common misconception associated with the Anita Hill sexual harassment testimony. Like she wanted the attention. She came forward because she wanted to cause a ruckus. Yes, exactly. That this like, oh, she kept this dirty little secret to herself for all this time just to come forward at a time such as this. Right. The, The common misconception is that she heard Thomas was going to be nominated. And then all of a sudden she picked up the phone and said, I want to make a public complaint. That is simply not true. Anita Hill didn't have a choice. She was called to testify. Her only other option, her only other choice would have been to lie. And out of bravery, she did not do that. So before we continue, let's just check out a picture of Hill when she testified before the committee. Looking fly AF in that powder blue suit. Yes. Yeah. 
that's all I have to say. She looks beautiful and she looks composed mm-hmm. and great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's awesome? It's every time I, before my research of this episode, every time I saw pictures of her testifying, that's such a power suit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, what was the thought process behind wearing that color? And it reminds me a lot of, um, on inauguration day how they were all wearing like the different hues of like purple and blue exactly so i kind of i just assumed like there was some thought process behind this this is like that's just how she dressed yes that's exactly (laughs) what i was gonna say when i read her biography she was like number one it was like my only clean suit and i had two days to pack for washington pretty much um and she actually was kind of feeling almost embarrassed when she showed up in that because all of the senders were wearing like gray and black exactly so she was like oh my god i stand out so much but when i look back on it now it is such a power suit Mm -hmm. she looks phenomenal yeah and i think one of the things that you mentioned is also super important she looks super super composed for this being pretty much like the worst day of her life yeah she she i'm sure she was going through a lot but um she is not showing it, which is so brave of her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't do that, kind of. No, uh, something like that, I would be crying through the entire thing. Yeah. It would, like, even just sitting there waiting to be called to the stand, I would just be crying. I feel like they would say to me, like, you know what? Uh, your written statement will be fine. We'll just read your written statement. Thank you. What's also incredibly brave about her is, let's consider the time frame we are talking about here. It's 1991. The phrase sexual harassment wasn't even a thing more than 15 years prior. It wasn't until 1977 with three Supreme Court cases that it was officially ruled that sexual discrimination and workplace sexual harassment is very real and that it is illegal. And even though a 1976 survey revealed that some 80 percent of people said they had been sexually harassed in the workplace, sexual harassment still was not a term that many people were familiar with in the following years. So when Anita Hill testified about her sexual harassment experiences, many people didn't take her seriously. It's so crazy to me because like I literally have to take an annual training on sexual harassment and workplace like sexual. This is why. Yeah. No, I know. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it's it's very much part of our culture today. Right. Mm -hmm. But even still, there are people that do not. And I one million percent understand feel comfortable revealing like hey i was sexually harassed at my job in 2020 yeah you know yeah that's part of why this incident is so controversial because sexual harassment was simply not understood at the time Mm -hmm. did thomas ever grope hill no did he ever touch her in a way that made her feel uncomfortable no but did he say and do sexual things that made her feel uncomfortable absolutely and is that okay Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But this divided men and women. It actually even divided women against women because you have some women from the prior generation that fought to be in the workplace, that fought to work alongside men. Mm. And so they were speaking down on the younger generation, on Anita Hill's generation, telling them they were too sensitive and essentially just saying like, yeah, guess what? This is what it's like to work in a male dominated industry. Get over it. It shouldn't have to be. No, it should not have to be. And then you had men that were all like, gee, it was just a joke, you know. <laughs> was a really good impression of a man. That was, that was my impression of a middle-aged white man. <laughs> it's not like he groped you or anything. Now do I have to be fearful and careful of every single thing I say or do in the workplace? That's the climate here. I mean, yeah, just you do. Like, yeah, just like uh, we do as well. Just like women do. Just like we have to consider every day if my outfit is too revealing my pencil skirt is a quarter of an inch too short yeah yes 
Do you love true crime podcasts but could do without the chatty banter? Are you intrigued by what's underneath our collective true crime obsession and want to hear field experts, authors, and content creators weigh in on the matter? Well, it might be time for you to kill the small talk and join the dialogue. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, host of Dialogue, a true crime conversation. It's a weekly podcast where I speak with fascinating guests from the true crime world and the criminal justice system. Together, we explore the genre itself and attempt to answer the why of true crime and also the question, what are we even talking about when we talk about true crime? Join me every Wednesday for a new episode and a killer conversation. Dialogue is part of the Crawl Space Network and available wherever you listen. Okay, now let's talk specifically about the claims that Hill made about her experiences with Thomas while working as his subordinate, both at the Department of Education and at the EEOC. She said that only a few months into their professional relationship, Thomas began asking her out over and over and over again. That's your boss. And he was like 20 years older than her. And yeah. So she declined over and over and over again. Yeah. She said he would have very uncomfortable and very graphic conversations with her in which he would talk about the kind of pornography that he watched, which included, this is a quote from her directly during her testimony, women having sex with animals and film showing group sex or rape scenes. (sighs) To have this conversation with anyone on the entire planet is horrible, but that's your boss. Yeah. How do you handle this? Yes. Absolutely. And that's the another huge misconception, right, about sexual harassment is that she should have immediately said, like, no, stop. You know what I mean? Like, this is sexual harassment. Like, But no it's like, one... no, you don't want to lose your job. You yes. don't want to you don't want to offend the person who is responsible for your paycheck, your paycheck. And also, I think we do this so much as women and I'm sure men do this, too. But you second guess yourself so much like, yeah. Is this really as bad as it makes me feel? Mm-hmm. Am I am I overthinking this too much? Is this I mean, really you're not that big of a deal? You're literally the person that I text those exact words to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, I, I had an incident at work. I'm not sure if I'm overthinking this. And sometimes I'm able to say, like, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Maybe that's not what they meant. And other times it's able. To, I'm able to say, like... No, that was messed like, up. Get out of your own head. That was messed up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thomas spoke of a particular porn star with Anita Hill that was named Long Dong Silver. <laughs> I'm not gonna keep my laughter. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> he also regularly talked about his own penis and his own sexual preferences, much like um, the president that liked to whip his dong out. Yes, LBJ. LBJ. <laughs> God. She also said that there was one particular occasion upon which he was sitting at his desk looking at a Coke can that he had in front of him and asked, who has put pubic hair on my Coke? It got so bad that Hill was actually hospitalized in 1983 for work stress related issues. Oh, I feel for you. Oh, totally. I think something really important to note here, too, is that Hill did follow Thomas to a second job. Mm -hmm. They had worked together at the Department of Education where several of these sexual harassment incidents had occurred. So why would she follow him onto the EEOC? Because it was a really good opportunity for her. Exactly. Exactly. This was a question that was specifically asked of her by the Senate Judiciary Committee, and her answer was as simple as what you just said. At that particular time, the sexual advances had stopped. 
And also, the EEOC was a huge opportunity for her. Working in civil rights was something she really wanted to continue doing at that time. Believing that the sexual advances had come to an end and seeing an amazing opportunity ahead of her, that is why she continued to work under this man. And actually, in reading her biography, I also learned that at the time... um, The president was Reagan, and he was threatening basically shutting down funds to the Department of Education, where Mm -hmm. both she and Thomas were working. That was part of why Thomas got this other job as the chairman of the EEOC. I can see this. I've been in this actual situation before. You see a sinking ship and you just need to get out. Exactly. And Thomas told her, I'm headed to the EEOC. I support you if you stay at the Department of Education. However, you might not have a job soon. And I am willing to give you a job under me here. Yeah. What do you do? Especially if they've stopped, if the, the advances. advances have stopped at that point in exactly. time. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I cannot blame her for her decision. Absolutely not. Now, this question of why she would follow him to another job is maybe one of the nicer, and I'm putting that in air quotes, questions that she was asked by the Senate Judiciary Committee because some of the questions they asked her were absolutely horrendous. Before I tell you some of those questions, I think it has to be noted that Hill testified in front of a panel of all middle-aged white males that simply have no understanding of Hill's personal experiences. And that's not to say that men don't experience sexual harassment and that they don't experience hostile work environments, but they simply did not understand Hill's experiences. How could they? Period. They don't. It became a typical case of placing the victim on trial. This whole thing was supposed to judge the character of Clarence Thomas, right? He's the one being nominated to serve as a Supreme Court justice for the rest of his life. But instead, it was Hill and her character that was placed on trial. Which is ridiculous. But we see this all the time. I know. It it didn't become a thing of, is this someone who's qualified to serve as a, a life appointment as a Supreme Court justice? It became, why would this woman wait this long? It, and, I mean, we just saw that, what, two years ago now when... um. With Christine Blasey Ford. Yeah. With the Brett Kavanaugh. Exactly. And she said, I was so inspired by Anita Hill to come forward. Yeah. Republican Senator from Pennsylvania, Arlen Specter, told Hill he didn't understand why she was so upset about Thomas discussing things such as large breasts in the workplace because, and I quote, this is not too bad. Women's large breasts. That is a word we use all the time. I don't have a I don't even have a comment. But it's like we use that all the time where? In TV, I guess, or like with your wife? I, I don't know. Like no. In the Talk- in the club. At the golf club. At the- while they're drinking brandy. Excellent. That's where they talk about You're it all the time. Absolutely right. But in the workplace from boss to subordinate, you use the words women's large breast all the time. I don't want to work in that workplace. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm gonna pass on that. <laughs> I hope that's on the the glass door review. Yeah. I don't want to work there. Mm -mm. They're like on the glass door review. What if it literally was like refers to women's large breasts regularly? Yeah. Frequently. Mm. Yeah. Gonna pass. Mm. Another Republican senator, this one from Alabama, asked Hill if she was a scorned woman. If she had a militant attitude. If she had martyr complex. Or if she was simply coming forward with these allegations because she thought it would make her a hero of the civil rights movement. I'm sorry. I'm not coming forward at all. I've been f***ing subpoenaed. I was subpoenaed to be here. I told the truth and y'all told me I had to show up. 
Hill denied all of this, clarifying that she hated the attention she was getting. She didn't want any of it. But if she was the type of person to like attention, she certainly wouldn't lie to get it, is what she said. Yeah. Even before her testimony in the days leading up to it, many of the senators on this panel made publicly clear that they did not believe Hill. Many cited the fact that Hill was not a young, uneducated woman and therefore simply could not be a victim of sexual harassment. Those were their words. They said she's not a high school secretary, so she can't be sexually harassed because she's intelligent and she's over the age of, I don't know, 21. That's like saying... A man can't be sexually harassed. A man can be sexually harassed. Yes. Like, yes. It's f-ing stupid. I'm sorry. Okay. No, this one is ragey. Yeah, it's this ra- one's ragey. It's a little ragey. She was questioned by the senators during her testimony about why she hadn't come forward with these allegations earlier, why she was so offended by sexual comments Thomas had made when he had never actually physically sexually assaulted her, nor explicitly asked her to view the pornographic films that he regularly talked about or even what she had to gain from testifying. Hill's response to that, and I'll quote it directly, was, I have nothing to gain. No one has promised me anything. I have nothing to gain here. This has been disruptive of my life, and I have taken a number of personal risks. I have been threatened, and I have not gained anything except knowing that I came forward and did what I felt that I had an obligation to do, and that was to tell the truth. Hill did not expect the political backlash she got from the Senate Judiciary Committee. She really believed each and every person on the panel, regardless of political affiliation, had no political motive. I know. We're in in and nowadays, that's like, that's actually a joke. In year 2020 hindsight, we roll our eyes. But she really believed that they simply sought the truth and justice and strictly wanted to make sure that they got the right man on the Supreme Court. It's a lifetime appointment. Mm. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Many on the Senate Judiciary Committee entered into it with a closed mind and treated Hill not as a witness, certainly not as a victim, but as if she were being interrogated, as if she were on trial. Icky. Something we have to talk about, and you kind of mentioned it when you viewed her picture earlier, is her demeanor throughout the entire hearing. So stoic. Oh, my God. She's composed. When I said earlier that I watched the nearly five-hour testimony i could watch it again and again and again because i am obsessed with her okay she is so composed so calm so professional remember she was a law professor so she does she give classes on staying composed in a high stress situation (laughs) because i'll pay for that shit (laughs) i'll join that zoom meeting Uh, for show yeah for show You do have to remember that she was a law professor. So she's brilliant. Mm. She's super intelligent. And you can tell she thinks through every single one of her answers before she actually provides them. When she's not certain what the senators are asking, she asks them to clarify or repeat the question. Mm. And then when she thinks she's not being truly heard or understood, she reiterates her stance and even rephrases some of the things asked of her. That's like. Not that she needs this, but that definitely benefited benefits mm. her mm-hmm. in that situation. That Absolutely. She, that she did remain so calm and composed because, God forbid, she gets emotional talking about being sexually harassed. Then, oh, she's she's she. Yeah, she's an emotional she's woman. An, yeah. Right. In addition to Hill's testimony, they also called forward four other witnesses that were all able to corroborate Hill's testimony. They all testified that they had had conversations with Hill at the time of these sexual harassment experiences in which she expressed her concern and dread over them. To not believe Anita Hill would mean to not believe any of these conversations that she had had with at least four of her friends as the experiences were ongoing. 
She also wrote about it in her diary as it was ongoing. This is all eight years before her testimony, before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Eight years prior, if something traumatic had happened to me, I remember it. Oh, yeah. And I remember telling my friends, like, my workplace sucks because my boss talks about Long Dong Silver every day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember that. And as a friend, if you had told me eight years ago that you had a boss that talked about his penis to you, like, yeah, I remember that eight years later. Yeah, I definitely remember her talking to me and being very upset and very uncomfortable. Yes, absolutely. So to not believe her is to not believe all of these people that are primary sources that were there at the time, eight years prior, listening to her talk about like, God, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Additionally, on top of all of this, Hill also took and passed a polygraph test. Clarence Thomas would deny all of these allegations. In response to her testimony, he said, this is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, This is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. Whoa. It was an uncomfortable hearing that neither side really wanted to have. This all-white committee didn't want to be seen as trying to keep an African-American from reaching a position in the highest court. Yeah. And then within the black community, many were upset with Anita Hill for what she did, given the history of incarceration and over-policing and slavery in this country. Hill's testimony felt like she was turning her back on the black community. Yeah. Something Hill would later say about this racial and gender disparity was that Clarence Thomas had a race. She had a gender. The committee didn't challenge Thomas. They didn't call all of the witnesses that had testimony regarding his sexual behavior. In fact, there were three other women, Angela Wright, Rose Jordan, and Sakari Hardnett, that all made similar complaints about Thomas that while working for him at the EEOC, he had made several sexually inappropriate comments about their bodies. They were caught in uncomfortable conversations with him, and he asked them out incessantly. None of these other women was called to testify and corroborate Hill's experiences. Republican senators obviously didn't want their testimony heard because they wanted Republican Thomas to be confirmed. But Democratic senators were also wary, both because, again, they didn't want to appear to be doing anything to prevent a black man from reaching the highest court, but also because the credibility of one of these witnesses in particular was questionable. But if you'd like to hear these women's testimonies, I think they are pretty perfectly summed up in what Sakari Hardnett said in a comment that if you were young, black, female, reasonably attractive, and worked directly for Clarence Thomas, you knew full well that you were being inspected and auditioned as a female. Ew. 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 It was basically a silent agreement between Republicans and the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee to leave their testimonies out of the hearing. So while we're talking about the chair, uh, let's check out a picture of the committee here and see if you recognize who the chair is. So check out the first one, which you won't really be able to tell too much. This is just a panel of all the men I don't expect you to be able to see. It's just white. 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 Wait, 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 wait. All right. Now check out that second picture. It's a little closer up of the chair. And let me know if you know who that is. Oh, it's it's our president, Mr. Biden, president. <laughs> yeah. 
Joe Biden. Yeah. Our 46th president. And I do actually remember hearing about that he was a part of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. While you're on that picture, do you recognize the guy next to him? He looks so familiar. Who is that? Oh, the, um, he's a Kennedy. Yeah, that's Ted Kennedy Ted that we Kennedy. talked about in yeah. the Chappaquiddick episode. Chappaquiddick, our, that's right. Our very first ever episode. Yeah. Full circle. Full circle. Here we are. As chair of the committee, it was his responsibility and his decision to not bring forward the other female witnesses. And while he did oppose Thomas's nomination and did vote against him, many feel he could have done more to support Anita Hill. He has issued a more recent public apology to her, and although Hill has said she does not accept his apology, she did still vote for him in the 2020 presidential election. While we're talking about that picture, though, you did see Ted Kennedy. He was also someone that people were kind of expecting a little more from him to speak up and support Hill because he didn't want Thomas confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. But... At that same time, he actually, like, way down low, as always is with the Kennedys, these, like, private, secret things that not a whole lot of people know about, also had others, like, sexual harassment claims against him, too. Yeah, of course. In addition to killing a woman. Refer to episodes one and two of our podcast about Chappaquiddick. Except Except we're a little embarrassed at the audio quality of that one, so maybe... So, refer to it, but be very, very kind. Yes. Very kind. Give us a lot of grace. We were recording with just our laptop microphones and remotely. And that's all. That's all. Yeah. We were babies. We were babies. (laughs) Babies. That's all. (laughs) Supporters of Thomas ripped Hill's character apart. They couldn't understand or I guess refused to attempt to understand how a woman could continue to work for someone that had sexually harassed them. There is evidence that even after she left the EEOC, Hill did still have a handful of phone conversations with Thomas and did see him two other times in person. But these are really not that difficult to understand because they worked in similar fields. And she testified that many of these phone calls were strictly work related. And one of those occasions upon which they saw each other in person was when she called him and asked for a job reference. Some of his supporters also started to allege that Hill had. Are you ready for this? No. (sighs) erotomania do you know what that is what erotto your- is like erotic so yeah. like sexual like a sexual mania like yeah. obsessed with sex or oh something my God. yeah yeah exactly i am a scientist <laughs> i'm an astronaut from, from last week's episode we confirmed she was an, an astronaut now this week she is also a psychologist yeah. so yeah Erotomania is an extremely rare mental health condition in which a person becomes absolutely fixated with the idea that someone is in love with them. Um, love instead of sex. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's not based in reality. <laughs> FYI. Oh. And the media began to pick up on these stories that Hill was crazy and delusional. <sighs> a book that was released in 1993 titled The Real Anita Hill by David Brock furthered these theories, although Brock would later recant his book and say that nearly all of it was based on lies. That's so fucked up. The thing about that too is if you read something, so say like this thing is very salacious and sensationalized. Yeah. Sure, you buy his book right away yeah. to things that you read in it, even if they were lies, you they stick in your brain, right? That's what we talk about all the time with like people that uh, stick to one news source mm-hmm. is you read a headline and even if it's later disproved, there's a little piece in your brain that still believes that because you read the headline. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Despite all of this, Thomas was confirmed as a U.S. Supreme Court justice on October 15th, 1991, with a 52 to 48 vote, which is one of the closest confirmations in history. 
Another very close confirmation in recent history is the 2020 confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, also with a 52 to 48 vote. Compare these voting records to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's 1993 confirmation, which was 96 to 3. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) This event changed Anita Hill's life forever. In her words, she said it changed the way she was perceived by the world and even the way she perceived the world. She hoped to return to a normal life when she returned home to Oklahoma to continue teaching law, but that just wasn't possible. No. She was followed by the press. She was accused in public of being a liar. She was threatened and so on. Republicans in her state tried to get the school to fire her even though she was tenured. And after five years of this, Hill resigned. Hill was not able to remove herself from this incident even years and years later. In 2010, Clarence Thomas's wife left Hill a voicemail at her office and asked her to apologize for her 1991 testimony. Intentionally or not, Anita Hill inspired women. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, just a year after Hill's testimony, the EEOC had a 50% increase in complaints filed. The year following Hill's testimony became known as the Year of the Woman. In 1992, 24 women were elected to the House of Representatives and four women were elected to the Senate. The year after that, California became the first state to be represented in the Senate by two women. What, what? California? (laughs) We're proud of some things and not others. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of them. (laughs) The eugenics, not so much. Nowadays, Hill works in civil rights and employment law. She specializes in social policy, women's studies, and gender and sexuality studies. She regularly speaks on gender and race at various events and television programs. She published her autobiography in 1997 titled Speaking Truth to Power, which I have a signed copy here, and also published in 2011 another book titled Reimagining Equality, Stories of Gender, Race, and Finding Home. In her testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, she was asked, had you not been contacted, would you not have come forward? Her response was, I cannot say that I would have. In her own words, she wasn't raising a legal claim. She was informing about conduct. She just cared about doing what was right. She cared about her work and about her students. I have to imagine also as a, a lawyer like yeah. that she cared about the law. Mm-hmm. And so obviously she was subpoenaed. She wasn't going to lie. Absolutely. And someone that had literally worked at the Equal Employment Opportunity Office. Yeah. The office that receives complaints of sexual harassment. Yeah. She wanted to be able to show her students, you know, her her, her law students at that time, that you should always have the bravery to do what's right. And I can confidently say that she has inspired many women for decades following her testimony and will continue to inspire women for generations to come. You included. And me. Oh, oh my God. I'm so inspired by her. I'm so inspired by her that I bought us a gift that I'm going to have you open (gasps) on air. What it's, is it's it? In a, well, it's, it's in a little tiny, like, manila envelope. Very, very it's small. It's literally, like, it's the size of a gift card manila envelope. Mm-hmm. Envelope? Envelope. Oh, they're little pins. What are they? They're little pins that say, I still believe, Anita. Oh, my God. Don't you love it? Isn't it I so love cute? It. Yes. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. 
As always, we will share the pictures that we discussed on the episode to our Instagram, and all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website, and that is at hashtag history-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with your friends and family, and then give us a rate and review. And circling back to Instagram, you can find us on there at hashtag history underscore podcast. And then next week is our season finale episode. What? Yeah, already. Uh, And we are so excited to tell you this special guest we are having on the podcast. Okay. Next week, we will be having Caitlin Caligira, the founder of a tour of her own, which is the first tourism company in Washington, D.C. to focus exclusively on women's history, which just ties perfectly into this whole episode. Yes. She will be with us next week to tell us all about a tour of her own, the tour they offer how they have pivoted businesses during covid times much like all of us Mm -hmm. and how you can get involved with this amazing women's history movement so be sure to come back here next week same time same place or i mean you could choose a different place it doesn't have to be the same you don't have to be in the exact location that you're listening to this one yeah correct so same time for sure for sure we're we're dropping at the same time regardless of whether you listen to it at that time yeah regardless just check us out (laughs) (laughs) thank you thanks bye Bye. i can't even taste champagne without seeing seeing your face all sources used all sources all sources entertain them i i got i can't even watching the anita 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 here we go fyi nico just texted me that they're about to start playing having band practice next door (laughs) what's also incredible about (laughs) my knees i'm old my knees have started hurting lately yeah it's bad literally every part of my body hurts (laughs) no it's public hair (laughs) my 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 Google Doc was like, how dare you for pubic hair? And so he, t- what did I say wrong? No, you almost said dog yeah, instead of job. Long, and I just made long, long dong. Long dong. Yeah, I did. As <laughs> what is this tiniest? Because I, it's, it says it's Joe Biden in case you didn't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you would, but I didn't want you to. What size font is that? That's, I don't know. Oh my want God. You to look ahead. It's one point font. Oh my god. I didn't want you to look ahead and be like, well, obviously it's Joe Biden, it's right there. Uh, Could you.